Welcome to the Academy of Esports podcast. I'm your host, James O'Hagan. I'm here with Dr. Chris Haskell, who is the head coach of the esports team at Boise State University. Yes, Boise State is the, the Chris, the thing I know about Boise State growing up in California was uh, on ESPN, I would occasionally see your football games. And that was the field that had the giant blue turf. It kind of was, you'd almost have to check your television screen to make sure that you were seeing what you were actually seeing. But it was known for blue turf. Uh, you had a, a football program that came out of nowhere. But now uh, it sounds like you have an esports program that has kind of taken the, the, the I guess, thunder, you will, away from the football team in a lot of ways. And is, is putting Boise State on a map in a way that, that uh, a lot of schools wish they could do and, and it is being done again now. Well, the blue turf is definitely the thing that we're, we're known for historically. Also, the anyone, anytime kind of uh, uh, you know, competition mindset. We played a lot of games for a lot of years on Thursdays and Wednesdays mm-hmm. and Fridays. Um, against anybody who ESPN had put us up against, which was which was pretty cool. But yeah, the the blue turf thinking, as we describe it here, is that is that willingness to try uh, something and stick to something that other people don't quite get until it becomes cool, and then we were like, "We'll see." It's been that way all along. <laughs> and and in your your uh, your school too. Again, you compete against. Uh, big colleges uh, on the on the national stage. You came again. You came out of like the Mountain West, so you've kind of got that uh, the outlaw mentality already, being a, a mountain state. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I like what you call it the that blue turf mentality. You are not somebody who, when you look at your your um, uh, resume on paper, I would say, oh, esports. Uh, what is your background exactly? People, if people want to know who you are and where you come from before you set foot into the esports world, you bet. So it's 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 kind of like the twist at the end of a of a good you know uh, kind of suspense movie. Um, wh- when I'm done telling you all all the details, it, it'll make complete sense, and you'll wonder how you didn't see it coming a mile away. Um, but um, so I'm, I've been a professor. This is my twelfth year um, at the university as a faculty member. I'm an associate professor now. And uh, I have been working in games, um, educational games, simulations, and virtual worlds for my entire 12 years here. I've done a lot of speaking and research, uh, teaching in Minecraft, I've already tuned into these game spaces. Even you go way, way back to the years uh, that we were investigating virtual worlds in almost the same way that um, – uh, that we look at, you know, Ready Player One as a, it, it, occupying these spaces as learning spaces, as you know, as Wade Watts did in in that book and movie. So you were uh, you were a but, second lifer then, is that correct? Oh, oh yeah, a second lifer back in the day for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and for those, for so the, I've been doing that work for a dozen years. W- w- one 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 stop. I just have to because of Second oh, Life. Oh, you're good. Because I know Second Life isn't nearly as popular as as what. Uh, used to be, but Second Life, for those who don't know, because there may be some educators who are young enough to go, I have no idea what you're talking about, (laughs) is that Second Life was like, I guess you could say it was a lot like Facebook, but in a virtual sense where anybody and everybody could come in, you could set up a a house or a space for people to come in and and collaborate. Um, And I know that it burned out one of my computers twice because it just ate up all the processing power. It always ran a computer yeah. hot. Like it would just, kill. Yeah. if you didn't have a well-ventilated computer, it would kill it. 
Yeah, and I would even I would even go a step further and call it the MySpace of virtual worlds um, because you could make it really ugly. Your oh, world, yeah. your parcel, you could really mess it up, which is what I think you could do with MySpace as well. But um, oh, yeah. yeah, so we, you know, we we launched into that. And I've done a ton of research in those spaces, um, and so I had actually been teaching and speaking on those topics for almost a decade. And I was like, Oh, let me, let me dig into something else. Cause I, you know, get asked to keynote a fair amount and speak a fair amount. So let me come up with something different. And I decided I would research, um, esports and gaming clubs because I was vaguely aware that they were kind of coming on. And, um, like, you know, like everything, um, i I fill up, um, just books and books like this of just notes. Um, I, I mean, I just research stuff like a, like an academic does, right? Mm-hmm. Just, you know, tons of stuff. And it became very apparent to me in just about uh, a month of research that esports was about to explode in college and in high school. And um, the joke is, and anybody who's heard me speak before has heard this a million times, so many apologies. I felt like the, dis- uh, the scientist in every disaster movie. <laughs> I discovered that this thing is coming and I have to go tell the president. Sure. And before I know it, I'm on a rocket with Bruce Willis. Um, <laughs> but they, I mean, I was the most knowledgeable one on campus. So they're like, hey, you need to run with this and, and, and let's see where it goes. Because there's this rare opportunity for those of us who are getting into scholastic and collegiate esports right now. It's early enough. And two years ago when we started, it was really early mm-hmm. that you could actually gain um, uh, almost that unfair competitive advantage. You learn more. You'd be able to pull in more talent, more interested people. You can develop new programs. Um, there was, you know, partnership and research money um, that you could bring into your institution. And and so we we dove in um, on the message from our president at the time that said, you know what, blue turf thinking, mm-hmm. um, we could be the Alabama of esports, right? And it's I don't it's know many people who say they want to be the Alabama of anything, but. You know, I get I get the yeah. football reference just so yeah. people who are learning, listening across the world may hear Alabama. We want to be the Alabama of esports and get a really quizzical look in college football. Alabama is the number one team in the United States, and they have been for the last historical decade. Yeah. yeah, they don't always win the national championship, but uh, but they're always uh, at the top of the list. Right, right. Yeah. So that, that was that that was the mindset. But um, now here's the turn where you go, oh, my gosh, he was dead the whole time. No, I, I've, I've not been dead the whole time. I, I spent nearly a decade as a uh, high school band director. Um, and although people have a hard time wrapping their brain around this, what I do now as a head coach of esports is almost identical to what I did as a high school band director. I prepare students to perform as a team. Mm -hmm. I don't get to play a single one of the parts. Um, They're the experts on the instruments. Um, I I can make a little noise on Overwatch or a little noise on Rocket League, but I'm not the same level of virtuosity that these kids are. I just prepare them to to perform together. Um, And I prepare the venue and the audience to receive that performance. That that's a really great analogy. Um, so as I alluded, Chris Chris has a, a background that would not lead you to think esports. Uh, I myself was in the band in high school. I was in the Purdue All American Marching Band at Purdue University. And uh, while I came into you the played uni- the big drum. Well, I came into the university playing tuba, and I hated it. I hated every <laughs> second of march. Well, why would you hate? 
not hate marching around with a 60 pound uh, silver instrument strapped to your shoulder and, and lose yeah. your whole Saturday. Here's a, here's a Volkswagen bug. Now go walk around. For a while. <laughs> That's a great way to describe it. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> what was great about the band was, is we had the world's largest, we do have the world's largest bass drum. It takes four guys or four, I should say four people to push it because we've had more than men uh, just push the drum and women have been part of it as well too. And um, you don't have to be a music major. You just have to love wanting to be a performer or be part of the band. And we had kids like that. We have kids in the Purdue marching band who carry the flags. Um, we do have twirlers. We have uh, dancers. They've got uh, uh, people, again, who do flag corps. And so there was always roles for everybody. And just like with esports, there's different roles for everybody. And, and what have you done at Boise yeah. State to, to fill some of the, I guess, roles beyond just gaming? Well, so we, I mean, we have uh, what everybody would expect, the varsity players. Um, we tend to, and this is a theme for us, we tend to probably uh, set up more chairs um, for more people than most people and most programs do. Um, so our, our teams tend to be pretty deep, um, and, and that allows for a lot of things. But we'll, we'll talk about that, I'm sure. But mm -hmm. we also do a ton of broadcasting. And by a ton, I mean... Um, we're averaging about 200 hours of live esports broadcasting per semester. Wow! Um, and that is a team of uh, anywhere between seven and ten um, students and/or professionals um, executing the broadcast. Um, are you know we'll have three on the desk, for example, for you know your standard Tuesday night overwatch or league of legends or rocket league broadcast um we'll have you know between five and seven just in the control room um you know a director an assistant director a replay um and vt um you know director we have observers the in-game camera people we have people who are running specifically the um the chat um, mm. because we have to have ushers in the digital arena just like we have uh, ushers in the physical arena Absolutely. to make sure that yeah. The tenor and tone of conversation is exactly what we'd expect of a college event. And and then there are even more people in the arena. Um, we almost always have an arena host who's helping people find uh, seats or just troubleshooting anything that's happening. Um, we have uh, analysts who work with me. Um, you know, I may be looking very specifically for stats during the game, and I have analysts that will bring me those details in between maps and say, you know, this person, you, you said to look for this kind of win condition and or, you know, this where we might want to make a change. And they'll suggest to me, uh, based on criteria, we might want to make a switch during this, that this player is struggling versus this opposition and we might want to make a switch, you know, that we've got folks doing that. And of course we've got people who are engaged in the writing process to tell the story before and after wow. a lot of what we do around, around esports is the storytelling aspect of it. Uh, I mean, our, our replay um, producer alone during the game, yes, produces the, the replay that you watch again. Oh my gosh, let's see that last engagement. Right. And then the, the casters talk about it. But they're also building all of the social media that's going to go out after the game, the top five plays, uh, the play, the player features and preparing essentially our video um, for uh, for the next practice where we actually do the VOD review of it. Um, so there are tons of people engaged in the process. We do at least 200 hours of that every semester. Um, and with with one of those games, how many people would you say are involved, say, just with your Overwatch team between players yeah. and analysts and production? 
Um, so the so the the analysts in production typically run across games. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have about oh I'd say between fifteen and twenty people who are engaged in the process of telling the story. Um, we on on our Overwatch team we have twenty one or twenty two individuals. Um, historically, we may trim that back just a little bit and make space for club uh, to also occupy some of that broadcast time. Um, but about 20, 65 student athletes total um, wow. engaged across the four <laughs> or five games that we play. So it really is a performance. I, I, I really love how that what the, the image that you gave of that is that what you are doing is a performance. You are putting on so, something that is so much more than just playing the games in this sense. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, it, it's the it's the storytelling aspect of of what we're doing. Most fans of any university or even high school care less about the actual game that's being played and more about the people that are playing and who they represent because they're they're an extension of us. Um, if we go to a volleyball game, we want our team to win, whoever our team is, um, because they're an extension of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I may not understand what in the world the oh help me out here the the one in volleyball with the different jersey the one in the middle who can't go up to the front line I have no idea oh, I am not a volleyball fan L I, I, uh, uh, libre well I I will make a confession here um, I I play Overwatch and I play Overwatch with my kids it is not my favorite game to watch. I like I, it's it's one of those things where people will say I like playing that game, but I hate watching it. People say that a lot about baseball. They like playing baseball or softball, right. but they can't stand watching it. And it's yeah. it's not uncommon to hear that. And as oh. especially as esports coaches or if you call yourself a general manager because some of your kids are or more your coaches, um, the, the coaches don't necessarily understand every game either. I equate it to saying to somebody, imagine if you are a normal athletics coach. And at one time you're coaching football, baseball, basketball, and wrestling. You know, you're going to be good at one of them, but are you going to be good at the other three as well too? So. Yeah. And my role, my role is interesting because, um, I, I am the head coach. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I take away for our, um, students, the necessity of having somebody within a peer group be the authority. Um, if a student isn't making grades and needs to sit this week or, or missed a, a test because they were sick um, last week and I find out about it, um, and I'm, I'm just going to not have them played this week mm-hmm. against Notre Dame. Um, peers cannot do that uh, to one another. It just builds resentment, right? right? right. You, you know, I'll be fine. Don't worry about, you know, uh, and and that, that then, you know, requires that there be uh, somebody, somebody who is uh, above above that peer group um, and with enough transactional distance that you can, you can actually make decisions like that. So as a head coach, that's part of what I do, but really my job as a head coach is I'm the, um, I'm the chief learning officer, um, chief educational officer. I am taking the coaching that is happening. um, And we, we do hire professional coaches and professional players to work with our students during periods of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the one making sure that they are, you know, that they're taking copious notes and in, in one of, you know, their notebooks and, and, and I'm, I'm the one who makes sure that they are assembling all, you know, all of the knowledge that they need. Do I have a play card here? Yeah, I do. Um, so we, we joke about the old playbook, right? So, okay. you know, just a laminated play sheet, but, uh, 
you know, talks about what, what our strategies are, what the switches are. I mean, you know, I, and I make sure that the, basically the learning tools, the learning aids, instructional aids are ready for them so that we can actually perform what we're being taught. And what I love about, it's not all just in memory. And, and what I love too, about what you just showed everybody too. And I think it's something small, but it means so much, not, not just that, but go back to the playbook, okay. the, 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 um, the notebook yeah. you had. The notebook you had. Oh, yeah, notebook. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's a really simple, small thing. But when you look at something like that, and this is something that the kids pick up on right away, is the branding. Like, they are, yeah. to, to a lot of the kids, the little things matter. I can't tell you how many times I walk around town in Racine, and I can see kids wearing their jerseys. And they wear them all the time. And to them, that is their pride. That is that is the yeah. coolest thing to them to have. And those little things like having that little bit of branded notebook or a pencil or a pen or a hat or a mug or something, it, it because a lot of this is their identity and it really means a lot to them. And and yep. you, and you and I know Boise State is always great about their branding. And I, I'm glad to see that you've taken that that as well and put that into esports. So it's not just a bunch of kids getting together and playing video yeah. games. They're saying like, no, no, we're putting some serious resources behind this. Well, and here's here's what's interesting is that a lot of people go, oh, well, that's kind of that's for attention or shine or uh, prestige or esteem or those types of things. No, it actually it increases the gravity for students around the educational experience that they're tied to. Mm -hmm. um, when we when we give them things to be proud of, it keeps them in the orbit um, of of education. You know, there are a lot of folks that are like, well, well, why do we need to do this in school? Right. They're, they're playing too much. Well, we need to do this in school because we can help them understand the limits. Our players are limited to 20 hours a week. They just are. Because 20 hours a week of practice of, of team practice, competition and meetings. Oh, wow. Right. 20 hours because that's what the football players, basketball players, volleyball players, softball players, all, all of those are, are, are bound to that same 20 hour um, a, a week rule hmm. um, that we do regular grade checks. I'll I mean, I have some uh, some clever little tools that notify me when uh, certain uh, summoner tags or um, battle tags are on after midnight and not as a way of, you know, uh, being draconian and locking them down, but rather to engage in the conversation. Hey, I saw you were on last night at one What's going on? Right. We can have a conversation about it. You know, Oh, well I, I mistakenly took the wrong allergy medicine, you know, <laughs> right after lunch. And then I slept for six hours. Like, right. Oh, okay. All right. Well be careful. You know, are you, are you okay today? Do you have enough, did you get enough sleep? Did you, you know, those kind of things. Um, we can engage in those conversations, but because we're doing this for the same organization, the same school, the same team, um, there's a higher level of responsibility. If we take that away, then we have people who are, who are playing without influence, right? Mm -hmm. Without responsibility to other people. Um, if, you know, the, the argument is, well, if you get rid of that, they'll spend more time, uh, you know, focusing on American history. Probably not. No. They still love games. Yeah. Um, and, and by just saying, let's get this out of the schools, we, we eliminate the influence that we can provide as people who've lived a little bit more mm -hmm. and lost a little hair. I, I got into so. a, uh, a very, I should say it was, a, it was, when I say discussion, it was a high level discussion today as much as you can have over Discord. And I'm not a fan of the Discord <laughs> uh, interface. Yeah. 
uh, but it was talking about the difference between, you know, would we be doing this if there wasn't so much business around it? Uh, because esports now is sure. becoming big business. Um, I look at the educational value of what our scholar gamers in the Racine Unified School District are getting out of this when we talk about, again, diversify opportunity for student participation, redefine athletic culture, promote good physical mental health, uh, look at those career and collegiate scholarship pathways. And the last big thing is we really need to do a better job of honoring the importance of play in the kids' lives. I look at all those things and go, no, I'd still do this. I, I would still, yeah. if, if, if esports, if there was a bubble, because people always talk about the big you know, bubbles that there are around certain things. If the bubble burst tomorrow and Overwatch went out of business, uh, you know, if the game was still there, but the league went out of business and all these other big competitions went out of favor, I would still say we're going to do this. I would still find it because there's so many good things. Gaming isn't going away and play isn't going away. This is the medium where kids play. This is where... Yeah. When you talk about things like self-determination theory and you talk about intrinsic motivations, this is it. 97% of kids ages 13 to 17 who are male are gamers. 83% of girls ages 13 to 17 are gamers. This is the medium. Look at you reciting the Pew, the Pew uh, numbers. That's impressive. It's because like it. those numbers, if, you, if I said basketball or I said physics, our schools would be tremendously different. But yeah. because it's video games, it's so there's true. still that stigma. There's still that stereotype, but it still does good things. It's still when done yeah. properly, it still does good things. And I can tell that you're doing good things, too, Chris, because <clears throat> I know you went off to the NACE convention and you took a team of, of your students. And what mm -hmm. struck me right away was one major thing. And that was the diversity, the gender diversity I saw in your team, which is is very different then I guess, the, the, again, the stereotypes, the stereotypes we're trying to break down. How do you get such a diverse team of students involved in your programming? That's a good, so yeah, we, we opened the game um, with three men, three women on stage. Um, and during the course of that game, we represented white, black, Latino, Asian. We, we, have, we have a very diverse group on, on our campus. And we didn't luck out with having the people that we have, but... It, People like what, well, and, and I get that question a lot. How how did you do this? Or was this just the the crew of people you had? And the the answer is no. Um, we had to make a decision before even selecting our first team that uh, that our team had to look like us. And by us, I mean our community, our campus community. Um, it had to represent the gamers that we have, um, and not artificially limit who should be on a team because of their past competitive history, which definitely leads more to young men playing mm. more hours and uh, thus having a higher SR, higher ELO, um, higher competitive ladder ranking. Um, that's the easy low hanging fruit. And people say, well, I, we got to make it fair. So let's, we're going to do a cutoff right here. But the truth is, seriously, Jim, more chairs, yeah. Creating more chairs so that you can have more people involved. And it, it's not just a single point of um, of experience or even perspective that determines who belongs on that team. I can I can tell you now for for two years of having co-ed squads, the the health of that group and that community is dramatically different than a boys club. Right. Mm -hmm. um, where 
where there's the language is different. Um, the way they talk to each other is different. Um, historically, you know, adolescent uh, boys, even young men, even men in their 20s and early 30s um, are very comfortable barking at each other. Right. And two guys will really contend for a little bit. Think, you know, you know, bighorn sheep knocking horns for a little bit. And then all of a sudden they're they're cool with it. Mm-hmm. You know, guy says, hey, dude, what? Like, yeah, so about the other day or whatever. <laughs> and it's over. Right. Yeah. Not not a whole lot of talking it out. That can't exist in a co-ed group. It can't exist in a group um, that has different um, kind of cultural perspectives coming in. So immediately it's different. It's healthier. It's more goal focused. Um, We do spend, uh, you know, a little bit more time individually coaching people um, how to do their role um, more appropriately in in a group that I mean, we we have to outlaw certain kinds of language. We don't allow any kind of sexual expletives, mm-hmm. um, even those that are common in, in gaming. If it refers to a, an organ uh, or an act, um, it's out. Um, you know, the F word is simply not spoken because it's we just can't do that in, in mixed groups anymore. And not not in this day and age. And what you're doing, too. So, uh, I know because you listened to my interview with Latoya Peterson uh, yeah, last week. I loved it. And she referenced the um, the the speech that was given by on one of her um, her YouTube series shows where it was the let her play where there was a, yes. a woman who was watching a little girl kind of stand back while her I think it was her brother's playing or her father and mm-hmm. and, the, and the woman approached the dad and said, hey, why don't you why don't you let her play, too? And it was almost like it fell on deaf ears and then, until she took a controller and actually handed it to the to the girl. And there's this yeah. conditioning that's happened where girls um, have to feel like they sit back and they uh, can't participate in something because, yeah. you know, they've been almost trained to to do it. In fact, I heard a story told to me by one gentleman when I was at the ISTE conference where he said he approached a group of girls about having an esports team and they said, well, we can't do that. We don't have any boys. And mm. And that and that is to me, that's what you're doing right there while you're talking about the, the two things that I love about what you said is not only about the discussion part about how communication changes in the dynamic that you had. But when you started now, this is the thing that I have a friend who I know is going to listen to this podcast and she's probably jumping up and down and screaming at the top of her lungs saying yes. When you said it was that you have to decide at the start, not at, not not this rushed implementation, not this, hey, we're going to get the team started and we'll figure it out later. But from the start, you decided to um, that your team was going to look like the makeup of your school. And that is is something that a lot of people and I am I'm guilty of doing this myself of uh, because, you know, dollars are limited and they're on a short supply sometimes for school districts. And all you're looking for is like, hey, can we get this started and we'll figure it out later? But you, yep. you having the resources and the time to do it, you said, yep, we're going to we're going to make this. We're going to make the conscious effort to make sure that this team reflects our students. Yeah. And and that becomes the most important part, because I have heard my colleagues um, at other institutions. There was a, a piece. So about maybe a year and a half ago now um, that uh, was published on ESPN, um, the esports, you know, dot espn.com mm. um that that named um two colleagues i have a tremendous amount of respect for mark deppy at uci yep. and uh, aj dimmick at utah and both were asked the question point blank where are the girls 
Right. And I asked Mark, um, I asked Mark the same question when I interviewed him. I remember. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, he, he's very, very good and quick to point out. And, and I know Kathy Chong, Kathy Chong, who is, you know, is assess, essentially the, the number two there um, at, at UCI in every way. She runs most of the operation. She really does. She's amazing. And she, she took no less than three or four personal visits from me where I flew down there and I just sat with her for a day. Wow. She just gave me the time. I got to interview her. She showed me, I mean, she showed me around. I can always call her and say, Hey, how do you guys manage this? She's amazing. Um, and, and Mark is, is very quick to point out that the majority of the leadership of that program in the collegiate level, um, is, is actually women. Yes. Um, people say, where are they on stage? And, and to his credit, he continues to try to identify um, the um, the top young women um, who are playing the games that they play and trying to bring them in, um, and I and I think that that is um, that that's wonderful, and, and I know AJ does as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a different perspective, and that is that um, finding them is 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 one commitment, um, building them is another. Uh, I think it's I I think it's a only appropriate that we say, if we're going to build this program, it has to be for people at different developmental levels. And if we see the communication, the planning, um, honestly, the the metacognitive abilities that we look for in players, but the SR isn't there, well, we can build the SR, we can build the ELO. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's time and math. That's that's skill. Um, that you develop over time. We can teach those things. Can you, so can you quickly we, define, yeah. can you just quickly define, cause there are some people who may not understand SR and ELO. Oh yeah. So skill rating is the way that a game um, identifies your skill level and, and matchmaking. So there's a lot of prestige and uh, you know, uh, I guess uh, importance placed around what your skill ranking is. Often those are associated with, um, you know, with bronze, silver, gold, platinum, diamond, master, grandmaster, and, you know, there's, a, you know, levels in between. Right. Um, most schools are looking for in scholarship positions, um, uh, diamond masters, uh, grandmaster, you know, challenger for um, uh, your top 500 for Overwatch, uh, challenger for League of Legends, for example. And they're a little bit different in some of the other games, but, um, they're looking for those high, um, high skill rating players on the, on the ladder. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and don't often give a tryout to, um, a platinum young woman, right? Because, well, you know, we're just, we've got so many people interested and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm of the, if you played the the game enough to to have a, a skill rating, in there, if, you, if you're if you've got hours in the game, I, we dig in deeper into the numbers, mm-hmm. and you really love this game. It, it, it's going to be some work, um, but but let's give it a shot. Let's let's go this semester and see. And honestly, I, I treat it as a challenge for myself and the strategic coaches that we have. Um, if we can't coach a brilliant young woman or a young person of color to the level of our other players then we need some professional development in how to coach mm-hmm. because they, they have the cognitive ability to do it. They just need the time uh, and the game knowledge to execute it. And we've seen that time and time again. Um, we have a number of people who are playing on our varsity overwatch team now who are GM grandmaster 4,000 SR and above. And, and you know, that one, and they started at 2,500, 
2,700, you know, dramatically different um, skill rating. Um, and we knew that they could climb to that because they they already showed the ability to really dig in and work. And and what they did well was learn, right? Yeah. And so if, if they learn well and we teach well, there's nothing that can stop them. So again, back to this idea of we simply just need to create more chairs and we had to get creative. So instead of last year and having just one, um, one team, um, with, with a couple of subs, we actually built out three full competitive rosters, put them in their groups and let them compete in the TESPA, um, regional and national seasons and kept one team that just competed in the varsity. Wow. And that gave, that gave us the opportunity to bring people along in a role um, to give them people they could watch and learn from. We mix those communities together. Sometimes we move someone from one roster to another um, to try to help balance things out or to give them new experiences. And that process um, is empowering um, oh, because yeah. we're not just looking for people who come ready-made. We're willing to put in the time um, to help people that we have an incredible amount of faith in develop in the game and make it onto that starting stage. And we have multiple teams that we will play against any of our uh, regular season opponents. So if the SR is a little bit lower, well, I'm taking this team and they're going on stage this week against, oh, you, you know, pick pick the university. Um, uh, it gives it UCI. the ability to experience. Yeah. Yes. UCI. <laughs> um, so it, with uh, your with your students, um, and this is a question I didn't ask you pre-interview-ish, what about scholarships? Do you work in scholarships or are there other ways that you compensate your your players? And your well, and not just the players, but those who are maybe doing other roles as well, too. So I'll I'll answer I'll answer scholarships first so that the way I describe the other benefits doesn't sound like a mitigation of scholarships. Yes, we do offer scholarships. They are academic scholarships. And so it's not just a play and then you 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 earn money kind of a kind of a deal. Oh uh, and it's also based on need, as most academic scholarships are and qualification. Um, but they come from different sources. Um we we have an outline for, and I I have high faith that it will be uh, be accepted by a local uh, partner um, who's going to fill out more of our scholarships. Um, but we have seen students um, on the high end um, make uh, two thousand in a semester. Not all, mm -hmm. not all sixty five. There are walk ons, just like there are in other sports in football, um, and uh, and then lower amounts throughout it. Um, if if accepted, um, I anticipate that we will give somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 45 scholarships next year. Wow. That's impressive. Which, which would be the most, I think, of, of any of any program. Well, um, and a lot of that has to but, do with the well, and a lot yeah. of that has to do with the not just the that you went out and sought out and said and made the conscious effort to be diverse and reflective of your student body. But that's a heck of a lot of buy in by people too around your campus. Who who look at this yeah. and go? This isn't this isn't a PC master race club. This is a something for everybody. It is a something for everybody, and and to do that, and I you know I I uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for for Billy Sprout, who works for Tespa. People who know that name will will know Billy and know why. As soon as we can clone humans, I need one. I want, <laughs> I want 
<laughs> sprout. I want to be the first one because that, that's what I need. I need a Billy. Um, he he points out very important that we we tend to fixate on competition with esports organizations, right? Because that is that is the thing that is easiest maybe to organize. Um, but there's an incredible need for just social events. Sure. Um, you know, we talk about how to make people feel welcome. Well, the first interaction with your team can't be high stakes. If they push back from high stakes, they maybe need to warm up to the idea, um, through an open gaming night as you get to get to know them a little bit, um, that, Hey, that by the way, um, you may have not thought about this before, but you might be pretty good on our team. Do you mm-hmm. have have you ever thought about that? I mean, I've had those conversations and people go, oh, no, I've, I haven't thought about that. I'm not good enough. I'm like, oh, hold on, hold on. Let me let me point out the things that you do well. Boy, you call out cooldowns every time. You you recognize people out of position. You say those things out loud. You have really, really good eyes. You're you're scanning around. They're like, oh, but I'm, my skill level is like, hey, have you ever tried to just play one role? Mm-hmm. Well, no, I usually just try to feel I'm like, trust me here. You're exhibiting the things that we really look for in players. If you allow us to help you and just to focus your responsibility, you could play an incredible part in what we're doing. Right. But that doesn't happen if if their invitation to come try is high stakes. It's the tryouts, right? It's the um, it's the we're gonna throw down the gauntlet and there's a big <laughs> tournament. And right, some people are like, eh, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. Most of us, um, you know, people you're in my age. In, in games, and I think of the work of Chris Bateman and uh, Leonard Mackey uh, about player archetypes, we actually enjoy the teamwork and the supporting of our teammates and socialization around the game more than we enjoy the domination, right? It's like, well, I don't, I don't care as much how many games I win as long as, you know, we're, we're making good progress. We, you and I have probably been to the end of, of competitive games where we're like, well, it stinks to lose that, but boy, that was a lot of more fun to play than one that was. I had to accept a lot of losing in my arcade and video <laughs> game playing days. I am, and I tell people this, I am terrible. I am terrible. But my job, what I see with this, my job is to take down <laughs> barriers and create opportunities. And that's that's what I do. I'm not, I'm not here. If the kids want me to jump into a game, I'll play. I'm not going to be good. I'll, I'm, I was the guy who, when yep. I would play uh, Counter-Strike Source, they would basically say to me, hey, go out there and just get yourself taken out so we can find out where everybody is. That was my so job. We can see where I had are. a role. Yep. My my role was to go find where all the enemies were so that they could pick me off. That was my job in all that. I, I remember this this moment when I uh, was playing. This is a number of years ago. It was um, essentially it was the um, the first modern it was it. Uh, Battlefield 1942, there was a desert combat mod, right? And I used to fly the support helicopters. And as those support helicopters, other people can shoot, but you can't. And I would just ferry troops from the spawn to the battlefield, take them exactly where they want to go. And that was some of the most rewarding gameplay I ever uh, enjoyed because I was was fulfilling a role and I was giving other people an opportunity to be successful. And that was way more fun than I ever imagined. Um, I didn't have the most frags, you know, uh, in that. But I know that we we won maps or were at least highly competitive because I was willing to take on a, uh, a role um, that I felt like I could execute well. Yeah, my, my son and I, the, the one time where Sean could put up with me being on the same team with him in a, in a video game 
was uh, we were playing Fortnite, and this was back in in the winter time when uh, they did the Christmas theme. And I've never yeah. finished number one on a Fortnite map, and I never will finish number one on a Fortnite map. But they were doing duos where you could play with a teammate. And they had airplanes. And boy, did I love yes. I loved flying those yeah. airplanes. People hated them. I loved the airplanes. Yeah. And what was best was yep. Sean could get up on the wing and I would fly Sean around everywhere. And then it was just that was my job. I was just I was just the pilot. That's all I had to do. I just had to watch out for other planes. And I, I know exactly what you're talking about, that while I wasn't going to finish number one and I wasn't going to have the most number of, of, of kills on a map or anything like that, I was at least going I had a great time with my son doing something we both were enjoying. And he was successful because he hated flying planes, but he was more successful because I we each had our roles and we and we yeah. and that's exactly what you have with your students. Now, I know you've got something really exciting to share about um, the the experience at Boise State. Now, you already have let me let me get this straight. You already have an arena on campus for your esports yes. competition. That is not just a space for kids to play video games, but it also is a production studio. It's a staged area. It's for viewing. Um, how long, what that was built, what last year, I believe we, we started using it in January. Okay. Um, yep. Uh, on, on our college campus, probably like every bigger college campus, probably every school anywhere space, right? Space is the great commodity. If you have space, you can, you can do all sorts of programs. Well, we, we eked out this space downtown, um, as part of another classroom facility. It's about a, Oh, I'd say probably a 1500 square foot room with a tall ceiling. And, and there are lots of pictures um, uh, online mm. that people can grab and see of it. But it's an arena that holds between 100 and 150 spectators, depending on how we have it set up, has an elevated lit uh, stage with uh, game boxes on it. All of them have monitors on the front. So if the game... Uh, you know, lends itself to it. You can watch exactly what that player is doing. There are tons of monitors. Our broadcast desk is in there with uh, probably another eight cameras. And then there's a, um, a full, yeah, full, um, what we call the control room next door, right. I mean, adjacent to it. It's, um, and you can actually, it's big, got a big glass wall uh, on one side. So you can actually stand and watch our production crew of, you know, between five and seven, execute the show um that sounds we just got a massive video wall that sounds um, more put together than some small town news channels like it, it, we've gotten that comment from from folks before it, it is it um it's uh it's a space that that if we're going to be the the people who tell the story of our esports right um it, then we've got to have the tools to tell the story wow. and so in our first year um, people were saying, what would you like? What do you need? And there's lots of things that we could have spent money on, but we, we poured it really into the production as much as we could, as much as we could get. We got a lot of gifts uh, to be able to do nice. it, but we put together our production space because telling our own story um, is, the, is the hardest thing. Telling a story is the hardest thing to do. Getting someone else to tell it is nearly impossible because they can give you, you know, some interesting time. Um, I think a local news and that feel good story at the end of the night. Right. Um, that's where we fit a couple times a year. Mm -hmm. unless we tell our own story and then we broadcast every single one of our games. Um, 291, 292 now at this point. Um, Who's counting competitive matches? Well, you know, we are right. <laughs> um, but so that had to be the space anyway. So it's a, it's a big, full, fully um, outfitted production and fan space. 
tons of cool lighting. Um, it's it's like a it's like a um, it's like a small nightclub uh, in there. Um, but and now we have oh, yeah. Oh, oh wait, but, am I skipping ahead? Wait, I'll let you finish and then no, we'll jump to it. People are like, well, what's the big news? Okay, um, di- directly next door to that space, um, we we have secured and and I'll give more details probably in a week when when we understand how the how the donor is interested in in supporting it. I mean the the arena that we have right now is the is the is the Game Pants Arena, um, which has already been named. It's a it was a gift from an amazing uh, company that's that's helping support e- esports. So you know elevated stages and amazing trussing and lights and all that all that uh, stuff. Um, in addition to everything else, so you know they get that. Um, the space uh, that we're going to open is actually going to be the publicly accessible battleground. And a lot of schools, nice. and this is not a criticism of, of schools that do this, um, a lot of schools um, do not allow access to their esports spaces to anyone other Correct. than scholarship yep. or select esports folks. Yep. And and our friend Billy from TESPA is quick to point out that that is not necessarily the healthiest for supporting people who love gaming on campus. Nope. And I would agree. Um even there are some campuses who just limit the access to those machines just to students as well, um, which I think misses a, a brilliant opportunity to bring in high school kids and hope to influence their love of games and and help that become a love of, of learning and a, and a love of the community and a support of the community. I mean, you, there's so much that we can we can teach just by getting kids, especially high school kids and middle school kids to gather around. Right. Well, even think about, um, you know, let's say in the city of Boise, you had, you worked with the high school district and said, Hey, this, this lounge, we want to have, you know, we wanted you to bring in your high school teams to all share space. We're going to compete and practice and work together in this space. Not only have you now brought together several high schools from around the city, but they also now have this idea that, oh, Boise State isn't just the school in town. It is also yeah. a place that now I'm comfortable with, I'm familiar with. I've had conversations with students and people. I know how it operates. It's such a it's such an amazing way to connect kids. Again, knowing that Pew Research, those numbers, when you say, hey, anybody can come here and use this, not only that, it takes down that like we we operate out of not your parents basement, which is a gaming lounge we have in the city ever seen. Right. I love the name. It, it, it's always it, it, Ian killed it with that name. He he got he nailed the, mm-hmm. the branding and everything for it. Ironically, it's in a basement. But <laughs> but um, for some, it's still a bit of an intimidation because it's a, it, it yeah. still has that gaming lounge feel to it. When kids get down there, they don't feel intimidated anymore. But we still want to have spaces where kids, especially in a city like Racine, where there's high poverty levels, um, and not a lot of spaces for kids to to participate in things like this because we are kind of um, uh, we're not close enough to Chicago where you could just go into Chicago and go find something similar up to Milwaukee. Yeah. But you want to have those spaces that offer an easy, easy entry to play games. Kids want to play these games. Yeah. They want to find where they can play them. We've we've purchased gaming laptops for our public library in the city of Racine, and we're starting to roll that out with a new development of our teen space. And then we're also looking at ways we can work with some of our local colleges as well to put in some of those spaces. And again, not as a separate thing, but as a community space where anybody can come in and get access to uh, those those resources. 
Yeah, and that's that's key. The the almost a democratization of of this in the same way that has been done with golf and tennis and other uh, sports that appear to have a um, a cost to entry. Mm-hmm. Um, gaming does not nearly as much, especially if you make the space available. So so this this space, which is the you know Boise State Battleground powered by Almond, um, is a fifty seat. Um, space uh, going in next to our arena, which can have up to 20 machines mm-hmm. in it, added together with two additional spaces that are already on campus, a 24-seat training center, which is also open to the public. It just happens to be um, kind of landlocked in the middle of campus, right? So it it tends to serve more of the students than it does the community, although it's open to everybody. And additional spaces like you know I've got a I've got a you know special practice team room adjacent to my office uh, with another you know nine or ten machines um, and the ability to expand. We have 110 machines total to hold huge events mm-hmm. uh, should we choose. And and this new space is in the heart of downtown directly adjacent to our arena so the flow between the two um is is going to be outstanding and it it will make it will make ours um with that number of machines the largest um esports collegiate esports complex that exists now and i am really excited to see uh who bumps that and and mark who i absolutely (laughs) adore um, has has had the record for quite a bit, right? They have 72 machines in that space um, of theirs, um, and we're excited to be able to eclipse it. I, I'm going to be actually heading to UCI in October to the, the ESC conference. I guess you call it Escape. I don't know, but that's what it looks, the Escape key. Um, right. Yeah, I'm going to be going down there in October. Uh, I can't wait to see what, what UCI is going to offer as far as the research and everything else. And again, uh, you might have to, uh, you might have to uh, plan a, a, you know, just a slight layover on your return um, oh, trip. I have no problems with just making a special trip to Boise. Trust me. It's let's go. I, I am, let's I am do down it. for coming and touring and, and checking the whole place out. In fact, the thing I would love to do with a trip like that is I would love to bring my children because yes. they need to they need to see my daughters, especially I, I'm going to pitch my daughters. Though, so they're both silver level Overwatch players. They love playing Overwatch. Uh, one's 15, one's 13. My son's 11. He loves playing as well, too. I want to I, I keep looking at them. And, and, and a struggle that I have is I've tried to have conversations with their school. And as I'm sure other educators who may be listening to this will know, while it may work and look great in one school district, the climate and the culture of another school district will will kind of almost say, well, why would you bring that to us? We we if we didn't figure it out, then it's not good. You know, if we if we didn't figure it out internally, it's not it then it's not worth anything. The only good ideas are our ideas. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the competitive culture of innovation. Yeah. You know, we have to be the innovators or, or it's not innovation. Right. Or some, some school districts are very traditional. So, um, it's important to, I think, get your kids out because they're the ones who ultimately can find the in with a teacher or in with an administrator more than an adult can to say, look, mm-hmm. I'm passionate about this and I want to explain to you why this is. And then there's usually a teacher or an admin who can really just get it. And then I've I've said for years that um, that faculty and and staff on campus don't have the power to create dramatic change themselves. It takes positive pressure, students gathering in a place, making um, it absolutely necessary that something be done to help them enjoy what they want. Mm -hmm. 
But conversely, without a faculty member, students can't get lasting change. They can't get spaces. They can't get equipment because, I mean, our, our hope of all students is that at our institutions, they are temporary, right? Oh, yeah, so our students are temporary. Our students are yes. temporary. Yeah, well, hopefully we're not temporary. <laughs> no, but they, they are, we want them to, to go through our experience and then move on to the next um, evolution of themselves, Pokemon style. Um, and, and so, so it takes, it takes faculty to, um, to, you know, to anchor the, um, uh, the tent stakes, um, to build something that they're going to be there for, uh, it, ah. both of us. Um, oh, you froze so for just there's student pressure. You froze for a second. I was, I was worried there. You froze for yeah. just a second. It freaked me out. I thought my computer had suddenly died. Okay. So <laughs> you're still frozen. But yes, it does take the pressure. It, it's that it's that perfect ecosystem. You almost need that perfect storm in a lot of ways of of one admin who gets yep. it and students who get it. And then the parents all of a sudden go, I had this happen to me at the, the state tournament. Um, so we were competing in Fond du Lac and uh, one of our students, oh, I call them scholar gamers. One of our scholar gamers was in the semifinals of the Super Smash Brothers Ultimate Tournament. And his grandmother, who had never seen an esports tournament. This was her first day up. She's standing next to me and she grips my arm at one point and she looks at me and she goes, this is so exciting. And I look over and I go, I know. And it was just this, it was like this weird connection that the, the, the grandmother and in that moment realized that this isn't just Christmas morning when my, my grandson is playing video games. This is, they really start to all of a sudden just grip and grasp what exactly this is. And you know, there's a lot of students I know that, again, we're doing this from the perspective of, I know there's kids already involved in things, but I know that there's kids who aren't involved in things. And we're doing this from the perspective of, I, I want kids to, of, of all backgrounds to be able to walk into their school and say, this is what I love doing. And I'm, and I'm proud to do this. And this makes me proud to be here. And I think that, yeah. that what you're doing at Boise state at the collegiate level goes way beyond the games, goes way beyond just having that flashy press release that says, hey, look, we've got this team now and we're going to compete in this and we've got scholarships and we've got NACE and all this other stuff. And again, it is we know that the power of this when you when you just focus on those things is completely lost on everybody else. And it's lost. It's lost opportunity. It's, it's sunk cost that you'll never get back or opportunity you'll never get back. Yeah, it, it's true. And and the reason to do it is the is the students, right, yep. to give them a meaningful experience. Um, you know, we've we've got a lot of numbers that people are really interested in. I mean, 291 games in two years is a lot. Um, I'm told by a number of people that right now we have the most collegiate wins of any um, active program, which is 165 um, tournament and regular season wins. Um, it can't be a lot more than, you know, than folks who've been at it for three or four years. I'm interested to know where Robert Morris is, you know, is. But the number that um, that really drives me um, right now is three, um, uh, followed by the number two, followed by the number four. <laughs> you know, okay. three is the number of students that we graduated last uh, May. Um, the three of our students who were with us for two years, either as um, support and production staff or players, okay. um, all three graduated. Um, we get two that graduate um, halfway through the year mm -hmm. um, with their degrees, I, and then another four um, in the um, in the in the spring, um, which will bring our you know our total to do the quick math, uh, carry the nine, nine. right. Mm -hmm. 
nine graduates. Um, and I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade a single one of those graduates for a national championship. I wouldn't trade a single one of them for a million dollar grant. Um, that is the most important thing that we do. And esports is helping them glue to their campus and community, give them a support system for what it is that they do. And if nothing else, then gosh, um, uh, oh, all right, I, I'm coming back next fall. Um, I, I'll give that class one more shot instead of just because I, I want to be a part of this community a little longer. I want to, you know, yeah. I want to be on our wall of fame, which is only for graduates. I think that that is a perfect closure because we've gone from the beginning of we, we went from your birth all the way to students yes. graduating. I think we've gone all full circle here. Uh, Chris, where can people I was born in a, in a log cabin that I built with my own hands. Nice. That's a great, that's a great story. <laughs> Chris, where can others find out about the good work that you're doing at Boise state or learn more about Boise state esports? Well, I, it should go without question. Esports.boisestate.edu is a, is a great way to get information just about the program. News pops out there. Um, I try to communicate as much of the, and celebrate as much of what we're doing as I can on Twitter. You do well. Uh, you do a good job at that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. At Haskell. I'm just at Haskell. Believe it or not, I'm so old that I have my last name as a Twitter handle. Do you, um, here's a fun, you know, you can find out your Twitter birthday, right? So you can go online and, yes. and, 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 and so, you know, when you first started, I started Twitter in 2007 and here's how stupid I was. I didn't bother because habits are. You know, I'll just use the regular username. I could have had at Jim or at James. Oh, my gosh. I missed out on a great opportunity. I could have had. At, imagine just having at Jim for Twitter. That would have been fantastic. Yeah. Huge. Oh, Huge. Well. You get, I've gotten a few offers for mine. I, I just can't give it away. I understand. You can't sell it. Can't, yeah. Um, that's really the best way. I mean, you can search Instagram. You can search uh, Facebook and YouTube. You'll find Boise State Esports stuff. Um, that's all out there. And people are always welcome to connect and, and you know, upload pictures and tag me in them if they want to show off the cool spaces that, that they're doing. Um, we love it when people come to campus and hang out. I would love for you and and your daughters, even your son, to come and play on our stage. That would be which, awesome. Which, by the way, is covered with blue turf. <laughs> of course. Blue turf. Our gaming stage. Of course. Blue turf mentality. Chris Haskell, thank you so much for being on the Academy of Esports. Awesome. That will do it for this week on the Academy of Esports. I've been your host, James O'Hagan. Esports are organized competitive video games allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture, diversify opportunities for student participation, promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter, at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N. And through the Academy of Esports account, at T-A-O Esports. It's a great way to get the latest blog posts, podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember, you can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. 
You can also connect through Facebook at www.facebook.com slash TAO Esports. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to our time again next week. <laughs>